You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are about to have a wonderful morning of worship. We are glad that you joined us for it. Hopefully, you have noticed something different about the sanctuary today. Uh, Our crew was here yesterday from about 9 a.m. until about 5 p.m. setting up. They've still got a few more hours today, but it is looking amazing in here. We are ready for VBS to kick off tomorrow. There's still time for you to help. We are looking for a few people that want to be standby crew leaders. We have everybody who's registered in a crew with a leader, but we know we're going to get some walk-ups. If you want to be on standby, show up here tomorrow and let us make a group when people register. Please let me know, and I'll let you uh, figure, or I'll tell you how to take care of that. Um, We also want you to make sure that you're praying for the kids and the families that are on our campus this week. This is a really fun week. It's a high energy week, but it's about more than the fun and the energy. It's about showing people how much Jesus loves them. And sometimes this is the first time these kids hear about Jesus. Sometimes it's the first time it clicks how much Jesus loves them. So just keep the families that are here and the kids that are here in your prayers this week. Um, We also want you to keep the rest of the summer events in prayers. In your bulletin, you will see a list of activities for the students. You will see a list of activities for our grade school kids. Pray for those events. Pray for the leaders at those events. Pray for the lives that will be impacted. When we do things here... It's not just to spend time together. It's not just to have fun. It's to share Jesus and to build the kingdom. So, so please lift those up. Uh, now, please turn your attention to Kevin. <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> well, everybody stand up. We're going to begin our service here this morning with uh, scripture. And I'd like to turn your attention to Psalm 113. Or to the screen, the words are going to be on the screen. And as we prepare for worship, if these words would uh, maybe focus our attention to the Lord. It says this in Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this day. We lift up the name of Jesus from the rising of the sun to its setting. May your name be praised with our lives, God. We give them to you in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Uh, It's a time we come to in our service that we take up our tithes and offerings. Um, Just as a kind of a reminder, we do have the subtle reminder of VBS is starting next week. So um, like Travis was talking about, Um, If you guys have never um, experienced VBS, um, to see the joy that these kids come to and worship, and also giving, uh, it's kind of extraordinary to see how uh, enthusiastic they are of giving. 
And you might say, well, of course they are. It's not their money. So, but in essence, you know, it's kind of a reminder to me every time VBS comes around that that's truly the way we should view our money. What we have been given is from God. We are put here on the earth to be, you know, stewards of what he has given to us. A steward is kind of a churchism or churchy type word. Uh, the definition, or let's read First Peter um, 4.10. It's a little too small for me to read, dear. Thank you. (laughs) Um, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So basically what steward is, we've got a definition. It's utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. So basically what we're given all of our stuff for is to manage it for the kingdom of God. So like the kids, when they come and give the money that you've given them to give at church, he has given us everything that we have to be managed well for his kingdom. So just kind of a reminder. And also when we give our monies to be as joyful as these kids are when they give give their, their tithes and offerings when they come to VBS. If you'll pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for this day and this time that we could come and gather and worship your name. We just praise you and thank you for all the gifts that you've given us over over our lives. We just pray that we um, honor you in the way we give these gifts back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Again and again and again, we've heard uh, of God's goodness um, this morning. Our God is so very, very good. Um, today, we're launching into a new mini-series entitled Learning from Loss. Um, learning from Loss. In fact, if you look up on your bulletin cover, uh, Learning from Loss, Hidden Losses Behind Life's Biggest, Hidden Lessons Behind Life's Biggest Losses. Now, many of you know all about Bill Buckner and this particular play. Um, Every week, whoever is speaking, you will hear about a loss. And in each of these illustrations, sports losses um, that went on to impact a person's life. Um, Today, um, we're going to look at what I believe is the greatest story of loss in God's word. And if you would, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Job. Job. If you don't have a Bible, pull out one from the pew in front of you. I will warn you at the outset um, that there will be more scriptures in today's message than have been in a message I've preached in a few years, okay? And so what I would encourage you to do is after we establish the story of Job, I encourage you to sit back and allow God's word to speak as I read it, as we read it on the screen uh, up here behind me. Several years ago, in in 1992, two teams met for the East Regional Finals in the NCAA basketball tournament. The two teams were the Kentucky Wildcats. 
and the Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> That's how I feel, yeah. But what makes this story interesting is other than one player on the Kentucky Wildcat team, I doubt anyone in this room could name one other player. I mean, in fact, I I have to read the names of these two guys, Darren Feldhaus and John Pelfrey, they played for the Kentucky Wildcats. They came on board when Eddie Sutton was the coach, but were redshirted as freshmen. And then the first year where they would actually wear the uniform and play on the court, um, they would um, unfortunately um, have problems, recruiting violations, and so the team was penalized. It would not play in the NCAA tournament for two years. The penalties in all, in terms of recruiting, lasted three years. But let's fast forward. A man by the name of Patino comes on board as coach of the Wildcats. Like him or hate him, that's who was the the coach. And he was known for turning around programs. And he did at Kentucky. And so just get into this game if you can. So um, you have Bobby Hurley for the Blue Devils. You have Grant Hill. You have Christian Leitner. You have many, many known players, and you have Jamal Mashburn for Kentucky. Jamal Mashburn fouls out in overtime, and yet Kentucky is still ahead 103-102 with 2.1 seconds left on the clock. So, Um, John and Darren are given an assignment. They are to cover Christian Leitner. Grant Hill is on the baseline. He is chunking the ball down the court. No one is guarding him, covering him as he throws the ball in. And his target is Christian Leitner. So they do their best. They're like cornerbacks on a football. They do their best, right? to keep him from getting the ball, but Leitner catches the ball, and to their amazement, he takes a dribble, which you never do with 2.1 seconds left, but the ball left his hand with 0.3 seconds left, and Duke won. They went on to beat, I don't know if it's Michigan or Michigan State, but they um, pummeled them uh, in the championship game. John's life, his memory would be forever marked by this loss. And yet, and yet, a name you don't even know, his jersey would hang with four other senior classmates' jersey in Rupp Arena. Why? They were known as the unforgettables. Why, if we do not know their names? Because they stuck in there during difficult times, during times of sanction, during times when no one else was willing to come to Kentucky. They stuck with the program. 
and they are remembered for their steadfastness. Steadfastness. John would go on, he would try to play for the Philadelphia 76ers. By the way, it was the Spectrum Arena that um, Kentucky lost to Duke. And so he said as he's flying into Philly and the first time he sees the Spectrum, his stomach just sunk. He would not make the Philadelphia 76er roster. He'd go to European leagues. He played there, but he washed out. He would coach the Arkansas Razorbacks and had a somewhat successful career, but would be fired as coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Sounds like a lot of loss, doesn't it? But the greatest loss that he would have a child, his name would be John Patrick. And he would die from a rare blood disorder. Loss after loss after loss. And yet, John is recorded as saying on more than one occasion that during the worst losses of life, the most important thing is you do not have to encounter those losses alone. Alone. To be quite honest, Um, As we look at the life of Job today, we will see that there was a moment when it was so awesome that he was not alone. And then there were long moments when if I were Job, I would have just as soon been left alone. Let's look at God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into verse after verse today, I pray a simple prayer. Speak to us through your word, Father. Father, during the the greatest losses of life, Father, we thank you for those who are present with us, for those who love us, for those who accept us. Father, we are most encouraged when we sense your voice, when we sense your presence, when we sense the peace that comes from knowing you. Father, help us to know you in the midst of life's greatest losses. Help us to know you through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Job chapter one, we, we learn that Job was the greatest man in the East. That's quite a descriptive term, is it not? The greatest man in the East. He is very wealthy. He has many, many servants. He has seven sons and three daughters. His sons didn't have to work much because in this passage, it tells us that the sons, seven sons, feasted every day of the week. Now, we don't know if this is once a year or once a month, but the Bible describes them as feasting. One son would feast, call the family together, everyone would gather at his house. 
Day two, another feast. Day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. I would call that well off. That's a lot of feasting, is it not? And the sisters were invited, the scripture says, to feast with their brothers. It's a strange story because it says that Job would offer up sacrifices for his children just in case they had sinned while they were involved in all of these banquets. But then we pick up the story in verse Six tells us that Satan comes to this place where God and his counsel is meeting and and God asks him, what have you been doing? And he says, I've been going here and there throughout the earth. And God says in verse eight, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear for no reason? God, have you put a wall around him? Have you protected him so well that, that of course he's a good man? Of course he's an upright man. Of course he's a man of integrity. Who wouldn't be if they had everything Job has? You've protected him. Remove that protection. And let's see if Job still worships you. Maybe you know the story. Again and again, Job is attacked. His property is attacked. The Sabaeans attack. Um, The Chaldeans attack. Servants are killed. And one lone servant runs to Job and says, I'm the only one left. Livestock is stolen. But the pinnacle of it all is when all his children are banqueting and strong winds blow and they're all killed. Seven sons three daughters and all the family that's included in that group. Now, I don't know about you. I cannot imagine loss greater than that. Can you? Physical loss? Relational loss? All your children, maybe grandchildren were banqueting, gathered for the party. Son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, everyone wiped out. How in the world do you recover from such an occurrence? Verse 20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and Worshipped and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God 
with wrong. You see, God had given one condition. He said, you can strike, you can attack everything he has, but just do not lay your hand on his body. So Satan goes again and confronts um, this situation and says, if you will just take your hands off his body, um, he will curse you. Verse seven. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, chapter two, and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet, foot to the crown of his head. Sores all over his body. And he, Job, took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he is while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. I've known several friends and I've known elderly people and younger people, my sister for one, who have um, had the terrible experience of having the shingles. Anyone in this room have the shingles before? They're terrible. They're painful. We had a neighbor, an elderly lady, that shingles went into her eye, right here on her forehead. It's terrible, terribly painful. But scraping off sores on your body from your head to your heel of your foot sounds gruesome. Sounds gruesome. I'll tell you one thing. I don't know about you, but I can tell you about me. I've never experienced anything like this, but I've witnessed it in church life. I've witnessed it in neighborhoods. We need friends to come alongside us. We need friends to come alongside us in our loss. And Job's friends do that. And I'll be honest, I, I've only remembered the negative about Job's friends. But let's look at the positive. Verse 11, chapter 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. First thing they did right, they didn't stay away from Job, they went to Job. You know, during the worst trials of life, sometimes we stay away because we don't know what to say. True? And they don't stay away, they go, they engage Job. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. You know, Paul says, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. They're, they're following that example here. They're heartbroken. They're weeping. The ashes, that's a sign of mourning. They're doing good so far. 
And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was very great. They did something else really good. They remained present. I'm not saying I want you moving in with me if I'm going through great loss, right? But a text or an email or one phone call when I've been diagnosed from, for, with cancer and I've not heard from you um, three months later isn't exactly the kind of comfort I need. Does that make sense? Right? We need people's presence in our lives. I'm not saying we barge into people's lives during loss. There's a time to be alone in loss. But we need people in our life to keep moving forward. And Job's friends were there with him. But eventually, their actions changed. And so that leads me, we don't need some friends to come alongside us in our loss. We need friends, but we don't need some friends. And it's odd that it's these same three friends who I don't know if as time passed because they had no answers, they had to come up with answers. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the mystery of Job's suffering just perplexed them and they had to render a verdict. But the three people who wept with him and were present with him now judge him harshly. They really buy into the concept of divine retribution, that if something bad is happening in your life, it's because you've done something bad to deserve it. If good is happening in your life, you've done good to deserve it. Guys, that's not how life works. Often, bad people experience good and good people experience bad. The Bible talks about that. Is there blessing from walking with God and being faithful to God and being people of integrity? Of course there are. Job was that man. But good people experience great loss. Eliphaz, he says these words to Job. By the way, chapters four through 25 are Job's friends confronting him. 21 chapters of the Bible. I don't need friends who are that talkative. You say, Dale, you're talking, I promise I won't be if you're experiencing great loss. Presence is more important than answers because often there are no answers. Eliphaz, remember, remember who that was innocent ever perished or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God, they perish, and by the blast of his anger, they are consumed. Here's what's happening to you, Job. You've sowed bad seed. 
You've been doing wrong and that's why you're reaping this evil in your life. Zophar, he writes, or he speaks, the heavens will reveal his, the wicked man's iniquity and the earth will rise against him. The possessions of his house will be carried away. Sound familiar? The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed from him by God. I want to warn you, and it's a serious warning, be careful what you quote in the book of Job. If you go to the wrong passages, you're quoting the wrong people. God speaks later in the book of Job and he says that he is very angry at Job's three friends because they are misrepresenting who he is. And that's the truth. They did it verse after verse after verse. But you see, they wanted to give an answer. An answer. Here are some answers that are given sometimes in loss. I'd encourage you to think long and hard before you gave these answers. And and I think we give them because since we don't know what to say, we feel like we have to say something to break the silence. Since there's no answer for what's going on, maybe we're going to soften it by making an answer. It's all for the best. Not a good answer. It's part of God's plan. It probably is, but not something I would tell someone who's lost a child or lost a spouse or has just been diagnosed with cancer. God never put on people more than they can handle. I would like you to find that scripture for me, by the way. I understand the concept. I understand the concept. You know, maybe it would be most fruitful and most truthful to say, I don't know why you're going through what you're going through right now. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through right now. I don't know what's going to come out of this situation, but I know God is with us right now. You know, one of the greatest things, I believe God meets us in the midst of our losses, all loss. He meets us in the midst of our loss. And I do believe that one way God meets us is through people who know him well. The body of Christ ministering to a family in the midst of their loss is a beautiful thing. We're praying for a couple um, from Travis's hometown right now. Young man, a coach in the community. A young woman. She's been... um, Three children under the age of five. She's been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer and has been given little to no hope of coming through the situation. 
As far as Travis knows, they are not followers of Christ. He's sure the husband, Duke, is not. Her name is Dana. Maybe you want to pray for Duke and Dana. But two churches are coming alongside this family and just loving them right now. Duke has never asked for prayer and all of, Travis has known him since third grade. Doesn't talk about prayer, wouldn't want you praying for him, but he's asked for prayer for his wife. God brings, we don't just need any friend, God is present in the midst of those experiencing loss through people who know him. I want to read some scriptures to you right now. Don't be afraid to be honest with God when you're going through loss. Be honest with God. You might as well be. He knows what you're thinking already, right? Job said these words. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth, Job 7, 11. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. David writes, how long, O Lord, Psalm 13, 1 and 2, how long, O Lord, will you forget, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 13, five and six, look at the contrast. Same chapter. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Same chapter, same person who said, Lord, how long will you forget me? David said these words first, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my words of groaning? God is big enough to handle any question you might ask him. And he's big enough to handle honest complaints from his children. Any father or mother is used to complaining kids, are they not? Say, but it's God. All I'm saying is it's best to be honest with God and let God meet you just like he did Job. God confronted Job. God went toe to toe with Job. But we cannot encounter God and encounter the truth of God until we're honest with God and share him all that we're struggling with. Here's some scriptures that I want you to think about today as we prepare um, to kind of tie things together. I don't know if you can tie a bow on the life of Job. God meets us in our honesty. God meets us in his word. Psalm 16, Psalm 16, 8. 
I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 35 For his anger is for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we, are, we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This verse is very interesting to me. There's the Wiest um, translation of this verse. It has five negatives in the original Greek. I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter four, verse sixteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I told Jennifer what I was going to do today. She said, Dale, that's impossible. No one will get their arms around all those verses. I've tried not to teach the verses, but share the verses. Lots of scripture dealing with loss. Lots of scripture connecting us to our heavenly father. God wants to meet us. He wants to meet us. Meet us through friends who know him. Meet him through our honest questions and doubts. Meet us through his word. He wants to meet us. He doesn't want us. He doesn't want us to trust our feelings. He wants us to trust in the fact that he is with us during the most difficult trials of life. My favorite passage in the book of Job is where Job says, I know my Redeemer lives and on the earth again, he'll stand.
You see, the fact of the matter is, regardless of how this life ends, it might be traumatic, it might be difficult, it might be a great season of loss for us. God meets us. And he will meet us forever in the place that will be our forever home. I'm gonna ask those preparing communion to come forward at this time. And as they come, I want you to hear these words from Revelation chapter 21. God meets us. He meets us. And as followers of Jesus, someday we will meet him face to face. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things of life have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Job's story ended like a Cinderella story, to be quite honest. Everything was restored double. He had seven sons and three daughters again. But any parent in this room, any parent in this room would quickly say, that might be true, Dale, but he never totally recovered from losing all his family the time before. And you are exactly right. Loss stays with us. It marks us. The question is, does it paralyze us? Does it change us? Does it make us jaded? Does it render us ineffective of bringing hope to other people going through loss? Or does it equip us to be ministers to those going through the most difficult times in life. Let's pray. Father, I was just struck 
down as I read the book of Job and as I studied different parts again and again. Father, it is overwhelming to see what this one man went through. It's so encouraging to know that he found you in the midst of it all, that he knew you better, he knew your presence, even in the midst of pain, he encountered you. Father, I pray for each one in this room who's going through loss right now. I pray that they would not allow their losses to be eclipsed by this story of unreal loss. But Father, I pray that each of us might be honest with you about our losses today. Father, you know us. You want us to pursue you in our loss. Father, may we lean into you. May we not pull back from you. May we know your presence. Father, for those in this room who have not experiencing loss at this moment, but know of loss, Father, I pray that you might equip them to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go to people, to sit with people, to listen to people, to love people, to weep with people. Father, I pray that they might not go thinking they have to answer questions. Father, may they go as your hands and your feet, instruments of your love and mercy. Father, we celebrate this moment in our service. You gave your son. He suffered and died that we might know you and that we might have victory over the greatest losses this world can place before us. For our hope is in you. Our home is in heaven. And we look forward today to the day when we will meet you face to face. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Won't you come? There's a word for what we witness in the life of Job. And at least up until the very end, the word would be tragedy. There was a point in time in the disciples' life that if they had not known the end of the story, there's a word they would have described, used to describe the scene at the cross. And the word would have been tragedy. They didn't know what the end would be. They had been told, but they never could really hear what Jesus was saying. They still thought he was coming as a conquering king, but he came as one who suffered 
greatly. He suffered, he died a death so that you and I might live a life marked by meaning. We're children of the Father. There's purpose in everything that happens in this world in regard to our life. I'm not saying it's easy to see. I'm saying I believe that because I believe in a good God who's in control. A man once said, nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing. Nothing that happens. Would you just worship God in this moment? Would you just hand him any losses you might be experiencing and invite him to meet you in the midst of them? Maybe you want to come and pray with a prayer partner or lift up a friend going through great loss right now. As we worship, let's meet God in this moment. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the reminder that we don't go through pain alone. And the reminder that, Lord, you are good no matter the consequences, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's swirling around us, Lord, you are good. And so we cling to you in those times of trial, in those storms, Lord. May we cling to you and be able to say what Job said. That you give and take away. But Lord, blessed be your name. My Redeemer lives. Father, we thank you for this day. Send us out of here with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.